I'm Fabian Alefeld, leader of the Additive Minds Consulting and Academy teams for EOS in North America. Welcome back to Additive Snack, the podcast created to inspire, educate, and support you on your additive manufacturing journey. Now in our third season, we've had a lot of incredible guests over the years, but we've never had a NASCAR champion join us. Until now, Brad Keselowski drives the number six Ford Mustang GT for Rouge Fenway Keselowski Racing. And when he isn't driving a stock car at 200 miles an hour, he's the owner and founder of Keselowski Advanced Manufacturing. His organization is on a mission to lead the fourth industrial revolution. And his team's state-of-the-art additive manufacturing capabilities are a big part of that effort. Today, we'll talk to Brett about how his interest in 3D printing came to be, why NASCAR and additive manufacturing have more in common than you might think. We'll talk about how Keselowski Advanced Manufacturing has been able to grow so quickly. And lastly, Brad's advice for organizations that are just at the beginning to explore additive manufacturing. I can't wait to get started. Let's start our engines. Brad, welcome to Additive Snack. It's an honor to have you on the show. And not only because you are one of the most successful NASCAR drivers out there, but also because you've built the successful Keselowski Advanced Manufacturing business in a fairly short time. And I'm super excited for our conversation today and already want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. Well, thank you for having me on, Fabian. Uh, it's been quite the journey over the last few years, and this is a journey that's been, uh, uh, in some ways, many decades in the making. Uh, ultimately, my goal is to uh, drive this technology in such a way as to be a part of the fourth industrial revolution uh, and, and play a key role. And so far, uh, with respect to the technology that uh, your company offers, we've been able to do just that. And Look forward to seeing even more fun and interesting applications over years to come. Yeah, for sure. I think we have the, the same objective here, driving the fourth industrial revolution. Um, so let's, let's start with, with a very obvious question that I'm sure you get all the time is, how does a successful NASCAR driver with more wins that I can count get into additive manufacturing and all of that while still racing, being a co-owner of your own racing team and starting this successful business? Yeah, <laughs> well... I guess it comes ultimately, Fabian, from my drive to win. Um, you know, I, I start uh, everything I do with what is it going to take to win? And, and in a lot of ways, technology is what we need to win. Uh, additive technology being a part of the fourth industrial revolution allows us opportunities to, um, you know, grow and to uh, get better uh, with our cars technology. And that was evident from day one with my first experience with additive technology. My first real experience with additive technology was actually 20 some years ago, it was uh, 1999. Wow. And uh, I was uh, at that time uh, a teenager and my dad had a team that competed uh, in one of NASCAR's lower tier series, the, the NASCAR uh, truck series. Uh, at the time that team was very closely affiliated with uh, Dodge Corporation, you know, Dodge, uh, the car company. And uh, their engineers would walk in from time to time with new, interesting, and exciting parts. And, and one day, that just so happened to occur where one of their engineers walked in with a 3D-printed plastic SOS intake manifold. And uh, I remember seeing it and being completely enamored by the fact that it was very light. You know, a typical intake manifold 
uh, on a race car is made out of aluminum, cast aluminum. Uh, and this one being plastic was, uh, you know, at least 50% lighter, probably more than that. And being a racer at heart, uh, I love lightweight parts and immediately went to, hey, can we race this? And unfortunately, the answer was no. Uh, the environment that it, it worked in required metals so it wouldn't melt uh, rather than plastic. And uh, that was okay. So I asked them, well, why did, you, why did we make this out of plastic? And the answer at the time was it was much quicker to iterate a intake manifold to new design specs uh, and, and 3D printing out of plastic uh, than out of a new casting and metal. So it was all about speed to market in that sense at that time. Of course, since then, the technology has evolved so much further, Fabian. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a that's a very uh, good point. And, you know, as like most organizations and most people in the additive manufacturing industry, you start out with prototyping and using additive manufacturing to increase your speed to markets. But as we talked before and in our previous conversation spread, you also stepped into additive manufacturing uh, years later after that. Can you tell us a bit more about that journey when additive manufacturing actually found its way into your daily racing life? Yeah, I would say circa 2017, I started to learn a lot more about metal 3D printing. I'd known about plastic uh, mm -hmm. 3D printing, but in a lot of cases in a race car application, a plastic 3D, 3D printed part uh, is not functional. The environment is too harsh. Um, and so at that time, the context of 3D printing in my mind uh, was all plastic. And in about 2017, I started to learn about metal 3D printing. And now you could build functional parts with significant increased complexity than what you would see in, in traditional manufacturing. Um, and so that became really advantageous in a number of categories, uh, specifically lightweighting, uh, which of course is uh, the holy grail in all things motorsports is taking out weight. And then it started to make its way into some unique material properties with, with uh, materials that uh, you know, you couldn't get with traditional manufacturing. And in those two conversations, I think dominated uh, really my interest from a motorsports perspective circa 2017 and, and kind of forced me to look at this technology a whole lot harder than I had uh, previously. Okay, very interesting. Um, so unsurprisingly, the Kazalowski Advanced Manufacturing um, organization that you've built is a very successful additive manufacturing contract manufacturer. And you mentioned your will to win. You mentioned also your your mindset that you put into this organization. I wonder if there's also certain common threads between motor racing and additive manufacturing that have made you such a successful uh, owner in the additive manufacturing industry. I mean, I think there's a lot of parallels. The, the technology itself, um, you know, our the factory that we use it in is a lot like a race car factory. You know, a race car factory is hyper-organized, very process-based. Speed to market is incredibly important. Uh, it's very clean. Uh, and all of those things are important in an additive manufacturing landscape uh, to have successful factory or part uh, constructed as a whole. So there was a lot of cultural crossover. Uh, also, I would say that another thing that has been really, really important to CAM and its success with additive manufacturing uh, that is a crossover to motorsports is a heavy, heavy emphasis on simulation. Okay. So in, in motorsports, we use simulation uh, to simulate the way the cars uh, will react or perform on the racetrack because we have limited amount of practice. And quite frankly, practice is very expensive. It can be dangerous. It consumes a, a lot of time and energy as well. 
So we try to fail in simulation as much as possible before we fail on the racetrack. Yeah. Uh, that said, we hold true that same philosophy uh, in 3D printing. We use a lot of simulation, whether that's simulating the part's performance in CFD uh, or some kind of other multi-body physics conglomerate, or whether that's simply simulating the manufacturing of the part uh, with build disorientations or build orientations, uh, build strategies, uh, you know, compensations for thermal uh, shifts in the parts. That culture itself has really drove our engineering side. And there's a lot of crossover, uh, not just on the manufacturing side, but even on the engineering side that I think we've been able to embrace with our motorsports heritage. That's awesome. And I think actually that's a very underestimated benefit of additive manufacturing, that you have not only the fast iteration when you print parts and test them in the field, but you can even do that on a simulation basis. Do you have any talent that you even pull in from your uh, race car uh, contacts into your organization that helps you with those uh, simulation uh, procedures? We do. So I actually pulled over one of our main engineers from the motorsports side. Um, okay, and, wow. and when we continue to pull people from the motorsports side, um, in fact, our head of process control, which is super important to us, uh, ran simulation for motorsports for a while. And, and he's an all-star. Gosh, great guy. Um, so process control is so important on the motorsports side. Look, if you don't bolt the car together the right way and something fails on the racetrack, you don't win. It's really that simple. So it's, yeah. it's, it's so important to, to have process control in motorsports. And the same thing holds true uh, in additive manufacturing. Uh, in the additive manufacturing side, if we don't do the process in exactly the right way, uh, we might not get a good part. And specific to our customers, especially in the contract manufacturing world, part consistency is so critical. And so that means very, very robust process control. And uh, so we carry that, that culture forward and we try to carry that talent forward as well, Fabian. Very interesting. So the basis of, of one of the basis of your success is a super strong focus on process control, which I think makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure also has contributed to the fast growth that, uh, that Cam has experienced. And on our previous conversations, whenever I mentioned, I think you guys have grown very fast and very successful. You tend to disagree. You would like to grow even <laughs> faster. Um, but uh, how have you managed the growth that you have experienced in the past? Uh, how have you adjusted your organization to continue to be um, successful and set up for the future? I, I think we grow as fast as our process control will allow us to grow. Okay. And uh, that's very critical to understand. So process control being so important to us, if I carry that back to the motorsports culture, um, you know, there are thousands of variables and what we try to do is eliminate every one of them that we can with process control. And that's critical to us. And much like any adult listening to this will say, the older you grow, the dumber you become, not because you're not learning. It's because you learn there's more and more variables that aren't process controlled as you go. And you become more, uh, more well-versed, more educated on what those variables are. And so you could, you work tirelessly to try to control them. And, mm -hmm. you know, whether that is in this application, uh, the, the powder morphology, the process of the build, uh, the actual software rev, rev you use, well, I mean, thousands and thousands of variables. We try to control every one of them we can, much like we do on the racetrack, because success on the racetrack for me is about process control as well. Uh, if we have great processes building the car, we can guarantee the part 
car won't fall apart. We can guarantee it's iterated to the best rev possible from our engineering spec. All of that carries over immensely. And I think it's super, super important to us. So in my eyes, I would like to grow faster. We've grown very fast. We have uh, a really robust group with 20 plus machines running that we're super proud of, along with a full CNC team uh, that allows us to build finished parts, Fabian. Uh, and we're three years in. I wish we were there on day one. Uh, <laughs> the reality is uh, the biggest challenge to me in additive is building those processes and building the culture around your team to where they foul and iterate those processes relentlessly. Because every day you will learn a new variable that you don't have controlled in any form of manufacturing. Uh, and, and so I think with respect to us, we are literally uh, learning those, those steps every day. And we say we're pushing the fourth industrial revolution. That's what we mean. We, what we really mean is we're learning the process steps that need to be controlled. Um, and we're learning the ones that don't need to be controlled sometimes as well. And we're iterating this technology in, in, in such a way to, where it becomes more efficient, more cost effective, better performance, better speed to market, all these things every day at CAM. Okay. That's a very good focus and a very good uh, approach that you that you take. And I'm sure that since you are in the additive manufacturing industry, projects go wrong. Right? We wouldn't be in this technology. It wouldn't be uh, where it is today if some projects wouldn't fail. Can you take us a, through a situation or a project where your team struggled and uh, help us understand how you approach these types of challenges as the CAM organization and how other people, engineers out there can learn from you to, um, yeah, to go through that journey by themselves as well. Oh man, uh, we've had lots of failures and our, our failures, we're not proud of them. Don't get me wrong, but they're important to us because it's part of how we learn. Uh, we would love to take on every project and be immediately successful. Uh, I, I think anybody that's done this long enough knows, uh, that that's not realistic. And, and, you know, I think some of our examples are, are not easily shared, but a lot of them are. But as a whole, uh, the fail forward approach is key to being successful. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times what we'll get is parts from other customers uh, that follow the story of kind of, we tried this part with another company, it failed, but we don't want to give up on it. And we don't want to give up on AM technology. Uh, so we get a lot of parts like that. Uh, and, and what generally... Uh, and I'm going to speak in a, a very general terms. What generally is the issue is the, the simulation side of the part. It hasn't been properly simulated uh, and, and compensated for. More often than that, that's where we see the biggest challenges. Of course, as a whole, uh, one of the other issues we see is the vertical integration. Okay. So a lot of additive parts require finished machining to hit very tight tolerances in either surface finish or dimensions. And, and what we find is the, the vertical integration of our team. This is one of our key early lessons. We find that vertical integration uh, is critical because the additive team has the ability to make a part that is almost impossible to machine. No way to hold it, no way to fixture it properly, no way to hit the critical dimensions, not enough stock in critical areas. Uh, and conversely, if you allow a CNC team to or a subtractive team to design an additive part, uh, you're setting yourself up for a recipe for a disaster. Uh, generally, there's no understanding of thermal distortion, 
uh, as the part is manufactured, it's generally built in an orientation to where uh, the support structures are very difficult to remove. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you've got a, a, a big pile of jello here at the end of the day at best. So I think one of the key learnings for us as a company at CAM very early on, uh, and it came through failures, is vertical integration and being able to not just print the part, but also being able to ensure the quality across the entire platform, whether that's in the CNC machining, even in some extent to coatings, uh, to the metallurgical properties, et cetera. And the vertical integration has really been a big part of the success at CAM. I would say process control and vertical integration are our success story. And in light of that, we've had a lot of parts that have come through our door that so-and-so has tried to make that Mm -hmm. didn't print right, that we've applied our simulation to, and we're able to achieve successful prints. We've added our subtractive engineering team to the conversation early on, uh, put in the extra stock that's required to properly machine it, designed fixturing strategies that, to make it to where the parts are actually machinable. And we've been successful with parts that other companies have not been accordingly. That's a huge part of our success story. Okay, so you, you, you have a strong communication between conventional manufacturing experts and additive manufacturing ex- experts. And I'm sure that those conversations also start to fuel each other's um, open-mindedness towards each other. And uh, I would guess that uh, that also ensures that you are able to continue to uh, drive projects through your organizations faster and with less iterations than uh, in the beginning. Is that a correct statement? Oh, absolutely important. Uh, if you have to do you know, two, three, four, five builds before you get a good part, um, you're going to drive a lot of cost. You're going to drive a lot of schedule delays. And ultimately, you're going to have an unhappy customer. Very true. Very true. So. We've talked a lot about the past now of, of Cam, and uh, I think you've given us a really great insight into how you built your organization and where you are today. I'm curious, where are you going in the next five years? We talked about massive growth. We talked about uh, also process-driven growth. Where do you see the other manufacturing industry evolve for Cam? Well, there's an old saying in uh, any new technology that um, it's somewhat driven one funeral at a time. And as morbid and grim as that sounds, our, our biggest challenge at CAM, and I think this is very much the case in a lot of the AM industry, is the experience of program managers, buyers, engineers in industry to date. And there's a lot of historical knowledge, sometimes tribal knowledge, about existing manufacturing technologies and a lot of resistance. Uh, as a whole for people in those positions to learn new technologies. Uh, It's scary for them. Um, And and so if I go back to that analogy, what we're seeing over and over again is it's the new guy who comes into the company who's who's open-minded, who who in some ways doesn't know what they don't know, that ultimately becomes the champion for us more often than not. And and I I, kind of harken back to the days of when the computer first came out you know, when the computer first came out, there was one or two in every company. And, and the, who ran it was the first guy, the intern or the first guy out of college. He was the guy who ran the computer and nobody else in the company knew how to use it. That's where additive technology is right now. We're, and our goal is to build the confidence and to seed the industry to where as these newer uh, hires, these newer 
employees, newer engineers, buyers, whatever they might be, program managers, believe so strongly in the technology they know it can be successful. So every day we have a call with a customer and it, and it usually goes something like this. I'm XYZ buyer. I've bought a casting or a brazing for 40 years from XYZ. Why would I want to change? And we, we try to explain our story of how we're ultimately going to be cheaper. We're ultimately going to give you a better part. Uh, we're ultimately going to be faster to market. Uh, we're ultimately going to design uh, or give you design freedoms to where you can iterate your part uh, to something better over time. And you can just feel the resistance in the room. The, ah, I'm being yeah. sold in the room, but I really believe it. And that's why I put my money where my mouth is. That's why I, I built Cam and invested in it. I've seen this on the motor side. We've built the use cases and been successful with all kinds of different parts this way. It's just a matter of time for the rest of industry to catch up. How long will that take? I, gosh, I hope it's not one funeral at a time. I hope it's faster than that. And maybe it will be, but this is going to happen, Fabian. I totally, I, I totally agree. I, I couldn't uh, agree more and I couldn't have said it better. Um, what is your advice to that buyer, though? If you're, you know, put yourself into the shoes of uh, one of our listeners out there, I'm sure there's many uh, people who are thinking about additive manufacturing. They are still struggling to find the use case, the business case, the product on how do I now enter in this new technology? I believe in it, but I don't know how. What's your advice, Brad? Yeah, I mean, I've got a lot of different pieces of advice here, so I'll bear with me here. Uh, my first challenge to any buyer who's looking at an additive part is to make sure if you're a buyer and you're looking at the total value statement, one of the biggest advantages to additive is parts consolidation. And oftentimes what we'll see in a buyer is that they might be responsible for one part of an assembly. And so they'll see the cost of an additive part and they'll frame it in the lens of their piece of it. Even if we're consolidating 10 parts into one, and they'll look at their one part of 10 and say, well, this is way more expensive. We'll say, yeah, but did you do the math for the other nine parts? Did you do the math uh, of the total value statement? Uh, did you do the math of lower maintenance costs or uh, less fallout from performance failures? Make sure as a buyer that when you're looking at an additive part, this is my number one piece of advice, you're looking at the total value statement. My number two piece of advice is probably not for the buyer. Well, sometimes it is for the buyer, but it's mostly for program managers and engineers And that is make sure you start with the right part. When you start your additive journey, the temptation is always the same. We see this a lot, especially with large companies. The temptation is always the same to start with a part that's very simple. Quite frankly, additive generally does not do simple parts well. If it can be very easily made with traditional manufacturing, there's a good chance that you should stay that course. Additive tends to do its best with the part that you look at and say, man, I hate this part. It's a challenge. I can't find a way to get it done right. When I do get a part made, it takes a really long time. It's really expensive or it fails a lot in, the, in the, uh, its use case. That's the best place to start with additive more often than not. And, and so when I see people come in and we see this a lot where customers will come to us and they might bring us what I would call sheet metal part, a very simple part that might be made out of sheet metal or a very simple part that Uh, you know, it's a bracket that has three holes in it and it uh, can be CNC machined or cast very easily. That's a very poor place to start additive. Uh, it's good in the sense of building some confidence in material properties. Outside of that, it's a very poor place to start with additive. 
And I think more often than not, I think starting with the right use case is so critical. Asking yourself, why am I here? Why did I start with AM? Uh, if you just want to start with AM on a simple project, that's okay, but it's probably not going to give you long-term success. Make sure you find the right use case. That is so, so uh, important. I think many companies get caught in this trap uh, of trying to part, uh, manufacture parts additively that just don't make sense with AM. And if it doesn't work with their simple use case, now AM is in this box for them. This box where they say, mm, AM is, you know, I don't like that technology. It didn't work because you started with the wrong use case. Find the right use case first, build confidence and move forward. That's my advice to any company listening today that's trying to understand additive manufacturing. Great advice, Brad. And it re very much resonates with uh, what I've been uh, communicating in the past as well. And that is, A, find a challenge. It's not, as you said, a value add if you find a part that can already be manufactured well with a conventional technology. And I love the term nightmare part that you basically described. Find that part that really gives you nightmares, that really, yeah, gives you a hard time in your daily business. And then try to understand the full value add of additive manufacturing, not only when it comes to the production cost, also when it comes to the supply chain, and when it comes to the uh, time to market and adjustability of your own processes and parts towards your own customers. So, uh, yeah, very much agree looking at the full value add and challenging parts that really could benefit from the value add of additive manufacturing. Our most successful customer, Fabian, is a customer that calls us and says, I'm going to send you a drawing for a part. This is a part I can't sleep at night because of. It's in an application that it's right on its edge or it's in a spot in the supply chain where I can't get it. Um, can you please help me? And more often than not, that's where we deliver our best work at CAM and where we, we, we take customers' uh, success story uh, to the highest levels. What a great ending to an episode. If you're out there and you wake up tomorrow night not being able to sleep because you have a nightmare part, give Brad a call and uh, Brad will be able to help you. So with that, Brad, I would like to thank you for all of your insights and uh, sharing your expertise with us today. I'm sure you've helped a lot of engineers out there to start their own additive manufacturing journey. So thank you again for being on Additive Snack with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on, Fabian. I appreciate all the support you give us at CAM. And if you're listening today, I appreciate uh, your interest in our technology, uh, your part as well of driving the fourth industrial revolution. Thank you. It's time to recap the big takeaways from today's episode. First, remember to consider the big picture when assessing the cost efficiency of additively manufactured parts. And many of the best AM projects do involve part consolidation, turning a complex network of components into a single 3D printed design. Therefore, a big part of thinking additively is to think holistically, unlocking the big benefits on cost, performance, lightweighting, and sustainability when you rethink assemblies as a single printed part. Second, no one enjoys failure, but as Brad says, it's important to embrace the importance of any failures you encounter during your AM journey. Missteps are valuable educational experiences. They'll help you to eliminate options you now already know won't work. The worst mistake you can make is thinking that a failed project means that AM itself is problematic. It simply may have not been the best fit for your application. Maybe your organization's approach was a bit off. 
and maybe newer capabilities in AM technology and materials can help you to overcome past challenges. And lastly, fortune favors the bolts when it comes to additive manufacturing. Many companies begin with a simple application of AM, which is perfectly fine. But in order to continuously unlock long-term success for additive manufacturing, those real opportunities for innovation, performance, design improvements, and market differentiation, you'll need to be bold. It's vital to keep exploring opportunities for AM to thrive within your organization. I'd like to thank Brad for joining us. I hope you found our conversation as fascinating as I did. I really appreciate all the insights that he shared with us today. I also look forward to your insights. If you have any comments or any topics or guest ideas that you'd like to hear on a future episode, please drop us a line. You can reach us at additive.snack at eos-na.com. We'd love to hear from you. On the next episode, we're going to shift from the racetrack to the skies above. Get ready to learn how AM is making a massive impact on the world of aerospace. Brian F., the CEO of Centavia, will join me to talk about how additive manufacturing is enabling some of the biggest leaps in propulsion systems we've ever seen. And how those innovations will enable a new frontier in supersonic flight, electric aviation, and space travel. It will be another incredible episode, so make sure to check it out. Please subscribe to Additive Snack in the podcast app of your choice to make sure you don't miss it. Until then, I'm Fabian Alefeld. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us next time on Additive Snack.